it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Tonight we have episode 230, and we thought, given the current market conditions, it might be a good idea for us to revisit something we've talked about in the past and kind of go over some ideas of some things that we are seeing in the market right now. So we're recording on May 12th, 2022. The market currently is down around 18 to 19%, the S&P 500, and Things are seem to be taking a turn for the worst as an overall market. And the thing we wanted to talk about is something called value traps. And the reason why we want to talk about this is because as the market is falling, there appear to be lots and lots of companies that could be great potential investments. And some of them absolutely are going to be, but some of them may not be. And so I think this would be a good idea for us to talk through some of the things that may help you avoid a value trap. And so with that, I'm going to turn it over to our friend, Andrew, and he's going to talk a little bit about value traps and kind of educate us on what those are. And then we can talk about some ways to avoid them. Let's do that. There's lots of different types of value traps you can have. You did a great thread on Twitter about a company that looked like a good value, but could be more of a value trap. I'll let you describe that kind of situation. The one value trap I think that I want to focus on just from the beginning is the value trap of a company that's cheap because it's dangerous. And so this could be a company and you would be surprised where a company could be very healthy one year and then the very next year things become very unhealthy. So if you're a beginner, a very easy way, it's a nice hard and fast rule. And I know it's controversial and there's lots of back and forth over whether you should go this way or not, but You can have a simple rule like if a company does not turn a profit, if it has earnings that are negative for the year, you sell the company. 
And I've done that so far since I've been investing in 2012 and I have not regretted it. It hasn't always worked out. There have been companies that have done well since I sold on negative earnings, but I have not regretted it. So I did research on the biggest bankruptcies in the 20th century, no, 21st century. And that was actually the most number one, most observable common factor between these companies is they went, they had negative earnings and then they went bankrupt. Sometimes it was one year, sometimes it was three, but that's pretty much what happened. A good example, I think that really just screams out at me from some of that stuff was Circuit City. And Circuit City was super interesting because, you know, if you're not old enough to know what Circuit City was like, it was like... I used to shop there. That's how old the company is. So <laughs> it was like a Home Depot that's just like kind of darker, right? Like a dark yeah. Home Depot without the lights and then yes. just replace tools with computers. Yes. That place was cool. It was almost well, like... I loved it. Yeah, it, it was, was awesome. It was almost like going into Ikea, like an Ikea. Mm-hmm. Like it's kind of exciting to go in there, see what you can find. It was a nerd heaven. There you go. <laughs> So the thing with Circuit City, they grew very aggressively. They didn't leave enough of a margin of safety. And so what they ended up doing is they had a bunch of inventory. And when the recession hit, they were expected to sell that inventory. When that inventory did not sell, they were not able to cover their expenses. And so they went bankrupt. If you were to look at their financials, they had a year of negative earnings in the year before. And so that would have been an opportunity to get out before. You know, if it crashed 20% or whatever, you get out, get out before it crashes to zero. So it is possible that there are companies out there like that. And you have to be careful because these could be really cool companies that you really like that are growing, that have earnings growth and all of those nice things. And, you know, not to say negative earnings is a perfect metric, but it's a good one because it tells you, A, either their costs are really, really high or B, they have these assets which used to produce profits, which they've determined they're not going to produce profits anymore. So they write them down. That creates a huge loss and makes negative earnings. Either of those two things are good. So it's a good thing to avoid and a good thing to kind of use as a hard and fast rule if you're a beginner. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. 
After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. It is it is a great rule. And I think to, to kind of delineate or differentiate that idea, we're not talking about companies that have just gone public and are producing negative earnings now. It's more about companies that have been profitable that all of a sudden start having negative earnings. That's kind of the differentiator. Yeah. Depending on, I guess, what your style of investment is, but yeah, for sure. I would definitely be more concerned if a company used to be profitable and no longer was. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think when you think about younger companies, one that kind of pops into my head is a company like CrowdStrike, which is a newer company and is growing really fast, but they've had negative earnings since they've went public. And so that's not really necessarily what we're talking about. I think what Andrew was really referring to is more stable-ish <laughs> companies that all of a sudden have negative earnings that have a proven track record. And then all of a sudden you see something negative that's like red flag going, wee, 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 wee. and that kind of leads me into the company that I'm going to talk about. So on Twitter, I had a follower reach out to me and ask me, I try to do weekly deep dives into different companies every week. And I had somebody reach out to me and ask me to write about a company called Goodyear Tire. And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? You know, I, I don't really know anything about the company and it's not really in the, the field that I generally follow, but you know, I'm game to learn. And so when I first kind of dug into the company and started looking at it, the reason why this person was interested in it was because it, it was very optically cheap. It was trading around a four PE or a four price to earnings ratio of about four, which is really, really low. And it also had a price to book, which is another kind of typical valuation relative metric that you can use that can tell you how cheap it was. And it was trading for less than one. And so those are both indicators of a company that's trading, you know, it's optically low. It looks really cheap. And so I thought, oh, you know, hey, this could be, an, you, you never know what you're going to come across until you start digging in into the financials. And so when I kind of started digging into the company, a bunch of things just kind of started jumping out at me kind of almost right away. And I think the first thing that really jumped in out at me was the company has been experiencing secular decline in revenues over the last 15 years, and particularly the last 10 years. And so if, if you think about that, what that really means is that the company's revenues have slowed every year for the last 15 years on a downward cycle. They may have an occasional bump where it does okay or whatnot, and that includes this past year. They had a, a bump and increase in revenues, which, you know, is obviously good to see. But when you see it for that long, that's a troubling sign. 
And it doesn't mean that the company is going bankrupt right away, but it does mean that the market is pricing this company cheaply because it's not worth much. (laughs) When a company is not growing its revenues or at least staying in a steady state and it's not doing better than the gross national product or the GDP of the United States, for example, where they operate, that's never a good sign. And it just means that the company is growing less and it could be, it could mean none of these things are definitive. These are just signs to look for to make you think and go, huh? So when you see the revenues drop by that much for that long a period of time, it can lead you to think that the company's in the end stage of their life cycle or that the products that they've been producing are just not as popular as they once were for whatever reasons. So that's something that kind of just jumped out right away when I was looking at the company. When I kind of started digging into that, I also started noticing, for example, the operating margins. So if you go farther down the income statement, we come to the operating margins. And that's basically the profit that the company makes from the cost that it comes to build the tires like Oil, for example, as the cost of oil goes up, their margins decrease because it becomes more expensive for them to build the tires. It also includes the people to make the tires, to sell the tires, to, to run the stores that they operate. All those things go into the operations of the company. And Goodyear actually has the lowest operating margins of their three big competitors, which are Bridgestone and Michelin. And they're almost half of what those other two competitors are. So again, that's not a great sign. So the other not so great sign is something that we just talked about, the earnings. So Goodyear Tires has had negative earnings in 2019 and 2020. So they are not a company that would strike you as a covid impact, big or small. So the fact that they were showing negative earnings prior to COVID, not a good sign. And then it they only accelerated the following year. So two of the last three years, they've lost money. And that's not something you ever want to see, even for a company that's as optically cheap as Goodyear Tire is. So if we go farther down into the financials, then we start to see other things that really kind of set off the alarm bells. And if you look at the balance sheet of the company, one of the things that really screams out at you like, oh my gosh, this is not good. The company's debt. So all the debt that the company owes people and investors and banks and whatnot totals about around $6 billion. The company's market cap is around $3.8 billion. So they owe way more debt than the value of the company as a whole. That's never, ever, ever, ever a good sign. That's actually quite bad. And so that's something that should really, really scare investors. You know, Andrew and I talk about some of these really big companies. I mean, if, can you imagine if Google at or Microsoft at 2.4 trillion had that much debt on their balance sheet? Oh my goodness. That's, (laughs) that's insane. So the point is, is that when you start seeing some of these things, it's not necessarily a death knell for the company, but when you start seeing stuff like that, that certainly sends off alarm bells. The other issues that you started seeing as well is you compare, they have all this debt, right? So they have all this debt, but they also have a lot of cash on the balance sheet because they've taken some of the debt that they've used to raise to put cash on the balance sheet, but they're also selling equity in the company. They're diluting. In other words, they're increasing the number of shares that they have on the balance sheet, which also impacts the price to earnings as well. And so what they're doing is they're they're trying to generate all this cash, what little value the company has from selling their shares, taking on debt, 
They also stopped paying their dividends. So the dividend was, they were a growing dividend paying company up until 2020. And then it dropped off a cliff and they stopped paying it in 2021. So another, I guess, alarm bell goes off when they stop doing that. You know, they're stopped paying a dividend. Never, ever, ever a good sign. Raise a whole lot to debt and then dilute the company. In other words, they sell so much equity that they're reducing, they're increasing the amount of shares, which decreases the value that you and I have in the company. And so those are all things as shareholders we never want to see. Now, Goodyear is positioning all this as they're trying to move towards creating electric vehicle tires. I'll be the first to admit I'm not a tire person. I'm not a car person. So take that for what it's worth. But that just sounds off. Yeah, interesting, off, a little bit suspicious to me. So those are all things that just scream a value trap. Now, I'm not saying that the company is going to go bankrupt tomorrow, but they are also all reasons why there's no way in heck you would ever want to buy a company like this because it looks optically cheap. But then when you start looking at what's the real value of the business, there isn't any. They're negative free cash flow, which is where the value of the business really comes from. Negative earnings or close to negative earnings. Stop paying a dividend, raising debt. Those are all just screaming alarm bells that this company is in trouble. And those are things that you want to stay away from. So these are all signs of things that you can use to help you avoid value traps when you look for different companies that you see all of a sudden, hey, this is super cheap all of a sudden. You know, Maybe I should buy into this because this is the kind of company that, that Andrew and I talk about. But that's why you need to look at the financials a little deeper and, and uncover some of those things. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. It's almost like it's doing the opposite of everything we want to see. I mean, we want to see a company that's creating a profit, mm-hmm. creating cash flows, and then giving those cash flows back to us, not the other way around, us giving them the cash flow right, in order to feed their money-burning machine. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, if they stumble at all, they have no margin of safety because they've run up so much debt, they've basically used up any equity they've had to try to generate that cash, and they're not generating any free cash flow. They really have nowhere to turn other than trying to go back to the markets to try to take on more debt. But as the market cap keeps falling, nobody's going to give them a loan because why would they? I mean, your chances of getting your money back just drop dramatically in circumstances like that. So it just screams value trap. And those are the ones you want to be careful of. I mean, the one of the common saying is you don't want to try to catch a falling knife. Mm-hmm. And so if a company like this is cheap and if it's down 50, 60% off its highs, if it's trading at a PE of four, which makes it look four times cheaper than the rest of the market, you have to ask why. And if, if the answer to that question is because they're a cash burning machine, you got to run. Yeah, you have to run because the cash that a company generates is really the lifeblood of the business. And if they aren't able to generate that cash for the business to operate and do all the things that they need to grow, then eventually they're going to run out of people that are going to be willing to give them money to continue the business and it's going to go poof. What I find fascinating too is like the combination of all of those factors. You talked about the declining revenues for what was it like 15 years? 15 years. Just like down, 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 down. So a product that's not in demand as much. And then you combine that with some adversity in the market and in the economy. And then combine that with the fact that now 
it's like a doom loop where the struggles has forced them to take on debt, which forces mm-hmm. more struggle. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, the, the compounding can work both ways. Mm-hmm. I kind of learned the lesson of declining revenues the hard way. This was, <laughs> yeah. You're well familiar with this story, but I had a company called Franklin Resources. I had a pretty big position in that company. And my magical touch, as soon as I bought the company, their revenues just went down year <laughs> after year after year. The Midas touch, if you will. Yeah, I thought it was and, just me, but apparently it's a both of us. <laughs> <laughs> and you would be surprised of how the stock can kind of tread water for so long, even as revenues are declining. And so at a certain point, you have to differentiate between a stock that stumbles because all, all businesses stumble versus one that's in a secular decline. And I think we don't use that term enough, but mm-hmm. secular just basically means that this is a long-term trend instead of a short-term trend. So I'm also not a tire expert. I don't know what the story is with this company, but when it came to Franklin Resources, they were hit really badly with the fact that there was this big move to passive and the whole asset management business was changing. There were some of their peers who were positioned well for that, but they in particular were not. They have a lot of like value investing active managers and that's been crushed and continues to get crushed. So ironically, like this would be the year that it should all bounce back for them. <laughs> right. But you know, regardless, if it's a secular trend you don't want to be in, eventually you have to cut bait with the company and with the stock. And so that's what I ended up doing. I didn't take a loss on it, but I certainly left money on the table because the S&P did way better than it did. And so that's something I think that is an easy one to also avoid. If negative earnings is one to avoid, declining revenues is another, not just one year or two years, but secular decline, four or five years. Just don't even think about a company like that because it's telling you the demand for the that company's product and services is decreasing every year. And mm-hmm. that's really hard to come back. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. It's really hard to come back from. And you think about some of these big companies that may be air quote boring, Johnson and Johnson, for example, you know, they're still able to grow their business, even though they've been around for quite a long time. They're still able to grow their revenues five to 10% a year in that range because of the demand for their products. Plus their market position allows them to have pricing power so they can, because there's a demand for their products, they can raise the prices on their products incrementally every year, which allows them to continue to grow. And something that we've talked about before, and and I'll touch on it again, is kind of a life cycle of a business. And when you think about a 
companies like a Johnson and Johnson, it may be on the definitely the more mature part of the business side, but it's still growing. And so a lot of times what Andrew was talking about with like the revenue declines is sometimes that's just a symptom of the business is either in an industry that is going through changes and the company maybe got caught flat footed and isn't moving with those changes. Or it could be that the product that they created or that has been driving their revenues for all these years has faced competition. Jeff Bezos likes, always likes to say, your margin is my opportunity. And you know, disruptors and innovation is the name of the game today. And you see it move quicker now with internet companies, SaaS companies, and all those things much faster than it used to with more physical products, obviously. But the same idea applies is that you have to think about what the company makes, what products or services they offer, and whether they're still viable now and where they're going to be viable in, in down the road. And if the company's going through changes and the revenues are declining for a long period of time, it may not be a death knell immediately, but it will be eventually. And you know, not every company stays around forever. I think the the average time in the S and P five hundred is less than what, five years, ten years. It's it's not. It's, very- I, I think it's around fifteen. But is it okay? It gets yeah, dragged down because a lot of companies get bought up too. So yeah, it, true. It yeah. is a deceiving statistic. Yeah, true. But I think you know the when you think about the life cycle, want to try to think about. It doesn't have to go into in depth analysis, but I think you can fairly quickly figure out how relevant the company is just by looking at the revenues and seeing how those have evolved over you know a longer period of time. And if they stayed flat or gone down, then that could not be the greatest indication. And if they're going up, even if they're only going up two, three, four percent, those it's still an indication that the company has something going on with it, depending on what it is that they do. Yeah, definitely does. Kind of just goes back to what we try to talk about a lot with the moat. If a company has a moat, if it has something that makes it different, that it can defend its profits, whether it's the best, it's number one, it's the biggest, or it just is different in a way that it serves its particular customers in its niche better than even the big fish can. That When that moat is there, then you get that pricing power. Then you get that ability to continually grow without having to grow in size. You can just grow through pricing power. And I think that's one of those things. I know Buffett has touched on it quite a bit, but I think it kind of goes in this like go, go, go kind of growth, growth, growth focused market. I think a lot of that pricing power goes unnoticed mm-hmm. until you zoom out 20 years later and you're like, oh, wow, that company did have pricing power. Right. Yeah. But it's a great way to differentiate between value traps. It's a good question to ask because this company's revenues might be down one year, two years. It's a recession, whatever it is. But if they do have that pricing power, you can feel confident. I'm going to buy more because I know any struggles they're having are are temporary. Eventually, over the long term, they're going to be able to continue raising their prices. That's going to give growth for the future. Yeah, exactly. And it's an easy question to ask yourself. And it's also an easy question. In some cases, it's an easy question to kind of answer or at least think about. And there was lots and lots of conversation about Netflix, whether they had pricing power to raise their subscription rates. And they eventually did. And it didn't seem to affect him that much. And then COVID hit and then kind of everything got thrown into disarray. But that's one of the questions that's kind of hanging out there about Disney. You know, Disney Plus is whether they have pricing power with that segment of their business. And kind of the same thing applies with YouTube TV, with Hulu, any of those kinds of businesses. There, It's an easy question, you know, would you pay more for HBO Plus? 
or not. And if you can and you think other people will, then that's probably a good answer. And if you're not sure, then that's not a bad answer either. And so I think there's lots of things when you think about a moat or the pricing power of a business, it's easy to ask yourself those questions. You know, would I be willing to pay more for my Starbucks coffee? And if the answer is yes, then obviously they have pricing power, at least with you. And chances are with a lot of other people. So, you know, I know that that's kind of a cult following with their coffee, but it just goes to show that there's lots of different ways for businesses to grow. And there's lots of ways for businesses to evolve. And you have to kind of think about how those can impact your investment and whether those are going to continue. And if you see those things starting to stop, kind of like Andrew was talking about with uh, Franklin Resources, you know, when he got invested in the business, it was a great business and it was one of the market leaders in what it is that they did. But like Andrew said, the kind of how people invested kind of started to shift and it sounded like Franklin was kind of late to the game to change and they weren't positioned to handle that and it, it caused them to struggle and those are kinds of things that when you're kind of analyzing companies, those are some of the, I guess, soft skills of thinking about how a business is going to react to things. And again, it all comes back to the fact we're buying businesses. We're not buying tickers on a computer screen. We're actually business. We're becoming owners of that business. And we have to think about whether that's a business we want to be involved in. And these are all great questions to ask yourself as the market continues to tumble. And who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? Andrew and I are not prognosticators. And I can't tell you what it's going to do tomorrow. And I certainly can't tell you what it's going to do two weeks from now. It could go straight back up tomorrow. Nobody knows. And if it does, awesome. If it doesn't, okay, we'll deal with that too. But those are just, you know, as companies, more and more companies become optically cheaper, please ask yourself these questions to try to avoid catching those falling knives or getting invested in companies just because they're cheap. Sometimes, you know, the market is air quote efficient, but sometimes it isn't. And that's where we get the opportunities to buy these great companies at discounts. But the flip side of that is sometimes they punish companies for a reason and they are being punished because they are not a good investment. And so that you have to take that into consideration as well. That's very well said. Anything else to add? That's perfect. Okay. All right. Well, with that, everyone, we are going to wrap up our discussion on value traps tonight. We hope you guys got some good takeaways from all that information. And if there was anything that we talked about today that you are a little bit confused about, don't quite understand, don't know what a price to earnings is, don't know what price to book is, how do I read an income statement? There are lots and lots of great resources on our website, einvestingforbeginners.com. We have a great search bar there, so you can just simply type that in income statement, and you're going to see a whole bunch of articles that can help explain all that to you. So there's lots of great research there for Andrew and I have written a lot about a lot of these things to try to help everybody learn. And there's, so there's lots of great resources there for you. So without any further ado, I will go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week. We'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional.
Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that you know Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that you know Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.